Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Steve McCrary. And I'm Bryant Bales. And today we'd like to talk to you about the Bible. Specifically, we'd like to discuss Exodus chapters 5 and 6 today. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to help you understand that reading the Bible is one of the most important things that you can be doing each day. We also want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible, where we are taking the text responsibly and looking at it for what it is and coming to the right conclusions as far as we can tell from the text itself. And we really want to emphasize what the text says, no more, no less. We don't want to glorify our own ideas. We don't want to glorify the ideas of others, but we want to glorify the word of God because we believe it to be the express word of God that has been revealed, whereby we can uh, study and understand the way to live our lives. Before we start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook at Walking Through the Book. You can search for us there. You can also email us. Walking Through the Book at ProtonMail.com is the email you can find us at. And then you can find other resources at the website this is hosted at, uh, NorthColumbusChristians.com. Uh, you can find a number of uh, resources there. That is the church that I work with, the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, if you ever have a chance to come and visit with us, you would be more than welcome to uh, be there. and You would be welcomed as a friend. Um, Bryant, it has been quite a while since we recorded. Um, it sure has. Long time. I think the, I think the last one that we uploaded was uh, the upload date that I have is uh, December 10th, 2018. Yep. 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 I was thinking it was last year. Yeah. At this recording, it is August 10th, 2019. So we are talking about more or less eight months in hiatus. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I went backpacking through Europe and, uh, you know, went through a number of different things like that. And, uh, not, not really, I I didn't really backpack. I was going to say, it's like, (laughs) But that's what people do in, on hiatuses, don't they? I mean, they do things like that, right? That's what interesting people do, Stephen. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but seriously, like we we always decided, like we 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 talked about this when we started this that we never wanted this podcast to overwhelm the work that we had locally, right? And uh, yeah. so, you know, Bryant and I work with. Local congregations, uh, you know, where we are, Bryant, you're, of course, in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and I'm in Columbus, Mississippi. And we, we just always decided we did not want this work yeah. to overwhelm or get in the way of what we did locally. And I think that generally has been what we've been focused on 
over the past few months. I've been focused on, I uh, had to get into a new house. So we've been really right. working on renovating some things and trying to get it to where it's guest ready. We're almost yeah. there. And, uh, yep. you know, a busy uh, so yep. a number of different things. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, but I'm, I'm really grateful to have you, have you back and that you were willing to come back. I mean, after, oh, so uh, good. you know, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a really, really exciting to be able to get back into doing the podcasts, you know, and hopefully, hopefully it can become a, a regular thing again. But, but yeah, like, like Steven said, you know, there's just been a lot of shifts and different things going on on both our ends. So hopefully, hopefully we can restabilize. <laughs> Yeah. Well, totally agreed. No more backpacking trips to Europe. <laughs> yes. No, can't, can't spend uh, uh, I don't have the money for it. <laughs> um, Brent, uh, go ahead and let everybody know how to get in touch with you. And then sure. uh, if you, if you're willing, just uh, go over how the program will go. And yeah. So uh, I, um, work with a congregation just outside of Savannah, Georgia, um, worship with the uh, garden city church of Christ, work with them as the evangelist of the group. And, uh, we have a Facebook page. If you just look up garden city church of Christ, you'll find us on Facebook. And, uh, the last time we did this podcast, we had a, a website that was being worked on a new website that's now done. So if you look up strivingforthefaith.com, uh, that'll take you to our, our new website. Um, you know, it has the address, has our, our times of worship and updated information. Um, so that, that's how you can uh, get in contact with the congregation or, um, you know, message, ask if any of any questions about how to get there. Um, and as far as the outline of our podcast and how we're reading and talking about the text, uh, we generally, what we're going to be doing is we start initially just with reading through the text, which, you know, today is going to be Exodus five and six together. Then after we read, um, we'll try to make just some initial observations about the text and what's immediately within the text, you know, and try to reserve any maybe broader or bigger observations until our second section, which is looking more at themes or, um, connections uh, maybe to other places in the bigger scope of Exodus as a book, uh, maybe reflecting back on where we've come since Genesis, or uh, maybe making some new covenant um, connections as well. Um, just really looking at how this account relates to the bigger picture. And then we always try to finish looking at some applications that we can take uh, as well. So that's how we'll be working to finish the, the podcast today. Exodus chapter 5. And afterward Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, 
the God of Israel. Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it. Because they are lazy, therefore they cry out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men, and let them work at it, so that they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today in making brick as previously? Then the foremen of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is the fault of your own people. But he said, You are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble, because they were told, You must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. They said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Exodus 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. 
but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for the Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of the fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben. The firstborn of Israel were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Gakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimi, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath were Amram, Isar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now Amram took for himself Yochebed, his father's sister, as wife. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. The sons of Itzar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. And the sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took to himself Elisheba, daughter of Amminadab, sister of Nashon, as wife. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And the sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel as wife, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, according to their families. These are the same Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? kind of like I, I don't you know the temptation is to kind of say that well the, this last section 28 through 30 actually do at least in my bible in the new king james that i'm looking at it leads into the first seven verses of chapter seven and it makes sense but kind of like leaving at the end of exodus six where moses is still like huh how shall pharaoh hear me right yeah <laughs> you know? yeah that's that's really really interesting 
you know, just as kind of like a, because a, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Well, just, just because it, again, you, you're just seeing this constant, like the, the pressure from the other side yeah. is, is just constantly intimidating God's people right on, on every side, not just, not just the people, but Moses as well. Yeah. And that's really kind of a new thing, you know, like in Genesis through the progression of God's work, there really wasn't that great sense of hopelessness, you know, like after the promises mm-hmm. to Abraham, you know, things just kind of move and you never get the feeling like, wow, what's going to happen here necessarily, you know, like it just kind of feels like the hope just kind of threads through. Whereas here, it's almost like it pauses on just how hopeless the situation is and how like, you know, it's gotten to a point here where Moses, despite all the things that God has already done for Moses and all the things he's shown him, he's still just at a complete loss, you know? Well, again, you compare and contrast with what might've been the first time Moses tried to rise up you mm. know, when he killed the Egyptian. Mm-hmm. And I think we may have even talked about oh, like, and that, that's speculative. I don't want to say that that's like absolutely, you know, what Moses was thinking, but he killed the Egyptian for a reason. And the Bible tells us that he had pity or, or compassion on uh, the fellow who was, you know, being killed. And, uh, well, let, let me go back and see what's, what was that chapter two? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's, uh, do, 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 do. What were you looking for exactly? Yeah. 11 through 14? Well, uh, uh, yeah, chapter 2, 11 and 12. Yeah. Um, you know, he saw that he saw his brethren and looked at their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So That's it's almost so like interesting. he may have wanted to actually rise up at that time. And he might have had this naiveness to think that maybe right. he could, you know, just do it all by himself. But now God calls him after he's been beaten down. Yeah. Like he's he's he he's spent this life of obscurity in Midian for so long. And he fled Egypt because he was afraid. And uh so now everybody involved that God is on their side they're beaten down. They're in a submissive servitude. I mean, God's people have been transformed into slaves and not just slaves in the sense of what we'll see under the old law, which I would say that's slavery, but that's really more like indentured servitude. Mm. But this is, this is what you call harsh slavery. And there's even a reference to it. Um, I think in, uh, what was it? Chapter. Yeah. Chapter six and verse nine. Why did they not listen to Moses? Because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage, Yeah, cruel bondage. And, and I think that, you know, that's one thing, and this is very controversial, Brian. I don't know how much we want to touch on this, but, uh, you know, I think people misunderstand what the slavery under the old covenant was, um, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe I'm breaking my rules again. We break rules all the time in this show as far as like when to talk about what, but it is coming to my mind now that, you know, what was it under the old law? If you, if you don't have any money to pay someone, you owe a debt. Don't you get, uh, you're in servitude to them for like what, six or seven years. Yeah. And then you get out for free. Yeah. Yeah. With provision. And, and then everything you know, qualify that. Yeah. With provision. You and you, you take, but in the meantime, even you get, you get room and board from the person you're serving. That's right. So I would not call that harsh slavery. No, That's not no, what no. the Egyptians were doing. Yeah. The Egyptians, it seems were 
taking the Israelites and, and viewing them as a lower class of person and simply saying, well, you're lower class and so you have to serve us. That's, that's kind of the, the implication that I get. And if you go back to recognize that they hated shepherds, they thought for whatever reason that shepherds were just, you know, disgusting, filthy people, um, you know, that kind of feeds into that theory. But, uh, but regardless, I mean, that, that's, that's what we have to, to deal with here is that that's where the people are. Right. And then at the same time, you have this figure of Pharaoh who, uh, if I'm not mistaken at this time, I mean, pretty much all the time that we see Egypt in the Bible, they, they still view the Pharaoh as a, uh, divine type of being. Yeah, it's it's interesting that with that Moses and Aaron, even though Pharaoh, you know, because in verse two, I can't say that I really blame Pharaoh for his response at this point. You know, like these two guys come up to him and basically say, like, you know, God has said, let all the Hebrew people go. You know, and it's like, well, wow, that's. <laughs> That's a mighty request, you know, for them to ask that of Pharaoh. But beyond Pharaoh's thought process about that, just their boldness in verse one, that what they know to be true has still given them the sense of boldness to go up to Pharaoh, who would have been seen with so much reverence, like you're saying, and to make a request, not even a request, to demand something of Pharaoh that they would understand would sound ridiculous to him, you know, and I just think that's incredible that despite Pharaoh's position and despite how crazy this sounds, you can see the boldness that they have to approach him because of the truth that they know. Yeah, that's a very solid point. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, you've got a great point there. They're, they're trusting in the Lord God in his message mm-hmm. and they're seeing that this is, you know, this is the way to go. So yeah, very well said. And, you know, they, they expound on this in verse three, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And so please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know if this is a bargaining at this point, but, but really this is kind of working on that whole goal of getting them out of there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that question Pharaoh asks in verse two seems like, you know, cause like, like you said, it's been a long time since we've, you know, done this podcast in Exodus, but I believe at some point we may have touched on how Exodus really focuses on the idea of God revealing his name. Uh, I think we might've talked about that when Moses was talking with God in chapter three and four. Uh, But anyway, you know, that, that idea of who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, you know, that, that, that is such a question, you know, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And I feel like, you know, God, that's like exactly the question God wanted to hear, you know, kind of like challenge accepted, you know, people criticize, like, how come there isn't any references in the history of the Egyptians to, you know, the Exodus and the Red Sea parting and things like that? Well, why would they want this to be in their, in their history? If if you're a strong, proud empire, why would you even want to consider this? And I think that's exactly what we will see uh, throughout the plagues is we're going to see a proud man 
being confronted with the realities of God and then just simply doing his best to avoid it. And, and, you know, once he gets the, the least bit of, of excuse to go the other way, he'll go the other way. And that's, that's the lesson here. That's the lesson of the proud man who, who fights against God, who, who, um, kicks against the goads, uh, someone who thinks they've got it all together. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if that's precisely it, but, but I think, you know, in Pharaoh, we see a proud man who, who does not want to give in to this resistance. Right. Yeah. So with that, what do you, what do you think about the way that he responds with putting more work on the people and everything, you know, through chapter five, what are your thoughts on like how he does that and how they respond? Well, to follow in with the same theme, I mean, what does a proud person do when they're confronted with the thought that there's something wrong with what they're doing? Mm-hmm. You know, that they, they will, they will push that blame on someone else. And, uh, and I mean, I've, I've, I've done things like that before. And I mean, we all have those issues that we, that we, uh, face throughout time where it's, it's so much easier to, to push the blame to the side right. or, or even in our own minds, we can do that, but um, we'll, we'll we'll probably come back to that in application. But I think that's what's happening here is he's he's saying, you know, well, the problem is not with me; the problem is with these people. Right. Yeah, you know, the reason why they're they're worried about getting out and getting away is that they're lazy. They don't they don't really care to work as hard as they ought to work. Is that's that's kind of what you do though when you feel like you have power. You know, again, that that might be an application, but wow, I, I just I don't think I've really thought about just how that draws out a very base principle of pride outside of just Pharaoh, the person, you know, so that's, that's really, really interesting. Well, and it, it's, it's important to appreciate that, you know, this is, again, this is the same basic thing where when you don't have God in your life, when there is no God, you become God. Mm Does that yeah. make sense? And, 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 and your desires and, and what you want and what you prefer, that becomes tantamount. Anything against that, well, that's the enemy. That's that's just not right. And, uh, you know, just I, I think you're right. I think I think there are a number of ways that you can you can pull out and you can kind of see some of the base base elements of pride here. Um, but he limits them. Right. I mean, he limits their ability to actually work well. Uh, doesn't give them the straw to make the bricks. And that's just, you know, an example that we see. Um, And, you know, the officers of the children of Israel, verse 15, what, what did we do? You know, there's no straw given to us. I mean, uh, and so it's, it's almost like this moment with, with Moses creates more of a burden for his people, right? In in the short term, that's what it looks like. Um. It's weird, weird how intense Pharaoh's response is, you know, like, and I think that kind of shows like something bigger is very wrong here. You know, like it's such a incredible overreaction, you know, to what, what Moses put forward. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if he had just said, no, I don't think that's, that's what I'm going to do, then, you know, that'd be one thing, but you know. I think there's a reason. I think there's a rhyme and a reason for all this that, that God's allowing this to yeah. go on. Yeah. But in the short term, there's a pretty hostile 
reaction, even from the Israelites in verse 21, you know, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. It's almost like, um, well, I can't even really think of, I think there's a term called Stockholm syndrome where, you know, when you're kidnapped and held against your will, like eventually you start to, uh, appreciate or even love your captor. Right. I've heard that term before. But um, but this is kind of that in a way. They're saying, let's not upset the apple cart. You know, stop messing things up for us. Right. And, uh, you know, so so it, this is something where Moses, he did what he was told. He did what he was commanded. He did it in the right way. He emphasized the right things in what he said. But everything just sort of blows up and everything looks terrible yeah. in the short term. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because even Moses, you know, uh, they blame Moses and then Moses in turn then blames, blames God, which is interesting in uh, verse 22, you know, Oh Lord, why have you brought this harm to this people? Yeah. And, and, uh, the last verse of chapter five, neither have you delivered your people at all. Mm. <laughs> you, you, it's like, Whoa, you know, you tell God, you haven't, you haven't done what you said, Yeah, <laughs> but then that's when the Lord says, oh, okay, now you're going to see what I'm going to do do uh, to Pharaoh. Right. And, you know, verse 1 of chapter 6, for with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. I, I think there's a sense where there where God is appreciating. He's, this guy is strong. This guy, is, he's proud and he's strong. And there are some things that he's going to be able to do. Um, but, you know, you're going to see the things that I do with him. Uh, it's, it, it reminds me of, you know, the verse where Jesus is saying, you know, uh, you can't plunder a man's house and you know, the strong man's house, unless someone comes in who's stronger. And, and that's what, that's what the Lord is doing. He's plundering the strong man's house. Uh, that's what he's going to be doing as time goes on. Right. Um, verses two and three of chapter six are so fascinating. You know, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Now, of course, Lord in the uh, capital letters, I mean, typically in your Bibles, you can see it as capital letters. And what that is, that's and, and uh, is it, it's a designation of the name of God. And the Jews were so careful about handling the name of God, they didn't want to misuse it that they replaced in, in all those references, the scriptures instead of, uh, instead of his name, which we refer to as Yahweh, um, which we're not even really sure about how to pronounce those letters. If I understand correctly, Brian, I think we're talking about two Hebrew letters that are supposed to refer to the name of God, but where it says, you know, I am the Lord and the Lord is Lord is in all caps that that's referring specifically to the name of God, some Bibles will have it as Jehovah or Yahweh, um, but I'm open to your thoughts there because I think it is pretty important that he he mentions that here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's a really interesting statement, you know, because you know, you'd think like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, God showed them so many things about Himself, but God was about to do things with His power that were definitely distinct and very different than what they saw, you know, and just in terms of, um, 
you know, the kind of deliverance that was happening here, you know, and just what the lessons that that shows and what God is doing to connect with people. You know, it's almost like this distinct progression, you know, that is something that could not happen until now, you know, not, not that God was withholding some necessary thing that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have needed in order to know God, but just that this is something that this circumstance gives liberty for God to do that he could not do before because the circumstances were not to this point, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I read it as a development of his yeah. of his willingness right. to right. be closer with these people. I mean, it's it's you know up until now it has been maybe a little bit more distant, and that's kind of what we're what we're saying here, isn't it? Because uh, no, well, we'll there, there's some more we can look at with the big picture aspect of that, but uh, just to kind of keep moving here, he uh, he re- references the covenant for the land of Canaan. Um, and he also sees in verse five, he, he, he hears them. I've heard the groaning of the children of Israel and I've remembered my covenant. And so therefore, you know, I'm going to bring you out of there. I'm going to rescue you. Um, I love this statement. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. You know, he's, he's going to be active in this and he's going to be doing this purposefully. Um, you know, it's not just, not just providentially. Um, which is the majority of the scripture, I believe. But verse seven references what we'll see as time goes on is the, the, the nation aspect. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Um, again, we're going to look more at that. So the Lord, uh, again, you know, verse 11, go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to tell the, let the children of Israel go out of, out of his land. And again, Moses is like, yeah, the children of Israel aren't listening to me. Uh, yeah. how's Pharaoh going to listen to me? Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he says, you know, uh, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, King of Egypt. So it's sort of reemphasizing, even though Moses is still kind of saying, how's this going to work out? God's just like, nope, go ahead, go and do it. Yeah. It really seems like it conveys that it shows God's distinctiveness, you know, that God sees things from a perspective that nobody else can. God is not intimidated when everybody else is. God's not demotivated when people are becoming discouraged, you know, and, and, and that's, that's the quality I think just generally of a truly good leader of any people. Yeah. That, that isn't really phased in the face of, uh, uh, intimidation or, right. Um, you know, pressure. Right. Yeah. That's a very good point. You know, it really shows too, that God's power was not limited by their inadequacy in the circumstance, you know, like the children of Israel have already given up, Moses and Aaron have about given up here, you know, and it's just like, it's almost like the story, it's almost like you take a breath here, you know, with like this genealogy and the reflection of verse 28 through 30 at the end. It's almost like everything just kind of comes to a pause as everybody looks discouraged. Moses has already lost his hope, you know, and then it's just kind of 
just basking in the moment, and I think to build up the hype, the momentum of what's about to happen. Right, and, and the, the text takes a moment to reestablish the genealogy for us as well. And I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time here, but, I mean, we do want to notice that we do have the sons of Kohath listed, uh, the sons of Merari, you know, going all the way back to the sons of Levi. And that's going to be very important as we move on. You want to keep in mind where all these families are and, and where they're from, uh, because even in the times of uh, of the United Kingdom, you want to keep in mind who Eleazar was and who Ithamar was and the different family lines that, that go on that make up the priesthood and the, the high priesthood and uh, to see those things moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see uh, Amram, and I think it's pronounced Jacobed, I think, uh, for the first time. Is that the first time you see those names in Exodus? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to note, like, you know, sometimes we, we think, well, we don't know who Moses' mother's name was. No, we know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, because not everything is going to be laid out like we would lay these things out. Um, right, right. Because again, you have different cultures and different ways that they would be writing things. And certainly the way that the Holy Spirit decided to write these things is uh, specifically important. Right. So, And I, I think it's interesting. The verse 26 and 27 keeps, at least in the New American Standard, saying like, it was the same Aaron and Moses who said, et cetera, et cetera. It was the same Aaron and Moses, the same Aaron or Moses and Aaron and um, I don't know if just the emphasis of all of this is just conveying their humanity, that these were just normal guys, you know, uh, there wasn't anything like superior about them. You know, they were just some names in the midst of Levi's genealogy, you know, and, uh, God just simply chose to use them and call them out. So it's almost like it, you know, maybe I'm looking into it, something that's not there, but it just seems like there's an emphasis on their humanity in this. Well, there's also, I think, from an uh, apologetics perspective, the the thought, you know, evidences perspective, excuse me, that, Mm. you know, the people that would read this back in the day, they would be able to research and go out and say, okay, was Moses really uh, Yaakov's son? Right. You know, or, you know, they would have been able to trace that family lineage. So, I mean, generally, that's what you find with, with the genealogies in the Bible. They're not there just for us to see, oh, look at all these people. They're there for us to recognize that anybody who had seen that, who saw that back then, could follow up on it. And uh, and that that tells us that what's being written is real and that this is, you know, this is not mm-hmm. just some stuff somebody made up. Because if it had been, then someone could easily have followed the dots and figured out what was right or wrong about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I think that's another aspect. Not to say, I mean, I think what you said is is spot on as well, though. I mean, it is still emphasizing the fact that, you know, these were just men. These were not, you know, superheroes as, uh, you know, many of the Jewish faith seemed like they wanted them to be. Mm. And it seems like it kind of conveys this idea of legacy and, and preparation, you know, that God had been working for a long time to get to this point. You know, this wasn't just something that just kind of happened all of a sudden, you know, and there wasn't really anything besides maybe momentary passion that God was acting on, you know, but 
think one of the big things that, you know, especially as a, if, if you've read up to this point, you know, you can just even remember, you know, promises that God had made to Abraham, for instance, about delivering his descendants out of a foreign nation, you know, so God, God has been preparing for this, you know, before time ever began, before the world was ever created, you know, it just, it brings, I think, just, uh, again, that momentum, you know, that this is something that God had been working towards for a long time. Right, so we want to make sure that we we're not just looking at the local context, which is just as important as the whole context of the Bible. But I, I think we need to keep in mind that the Bible does have a context. There is a sense where we recognize how these books were written and the times that they were written and what they were emphasizing. And throughout its 66 books, the Bible has one harmonious message, message. And we believe that message to be centered around the story of Jesus Christ and how he came to die for the sins of the world and uh, to redeem mankind from darkness and from sin. And so that's kind of the lens that we see all this from. You know, one one way that I've tried to express that, I try to express to people who have questions or concerns about, like, well, how, how can I properly understand these things, you know? Well, you, you just, you kind of have to look at it from those eyes to see, okay, you know, what's the point of Jesus? What's the whole point of, of who he is? And, and what's the whole point of, this scripture itself, I think, Brian, a lot of people who are in, who go to seminaries or who attend uh, theological universities even, uh, will not get that. I, I think generally they're going to be told the historical information, they're going to be told basically what the text says, and they're going to be told a lot about what people think the text says. Uh, and that's probably primarily what they're going to be looking at. And uh, the majority of professors that are in those places, if not all of them, sometimes do not believe that the Bible is the express, uh, you know, written word of God. Uh, so that's the problem that we're up against in this society. And that's why it's important that we look at the big picture of the Bible and try to tie all these things together to appreciate the harmony in it and uh, and to see where it leads us there. So. Um, Brian, what are some, what are some things that you saw? I mean, we, we talked about how Pharaoh is proud. I mean, we see plenty of, of proud men in the Bible and we see how pride gets in the way of service to God and, and keeps us from being who we ought to be. Uh, we see those themes over and over. Um, I mean, can you, can you add anything to that? Well, it, it immediately reminds me of Luke chapter four, uh, verse six particularly, you know, it's Luke four, it's where Satan had taken Jesus to the mountain um, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. But then the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Uh, Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours, you know, and there's a sense where Satan was wrong in that statement he made. Uh, Ultimately, all things belong to God. But there's another sense where Satan 
does have dominion over the world and the world is given over to him. Um, you know, Satan does not let those under his realm go without a great fight. Uh, so that, that kind of makes me think about that, you know, that Moses was in a sense like provoking Pharaoh to use his power to keep his dominion. And, uh, that's kind of what Jesus did to Satan, I think, is, you know, Jesus, in a sense, provoked Satan to use his power to try to keep uh, those who are under his dominion. Um, but just like Pharaoh, you know, it just progressively gave Jesus and it gave God opportunity more and more to display his glory and display his power. I think you're right. I, you know, I, I've always thought, and I might be wrong, but I've always sort of figured that I don't think Satan is lying when he says for this has been delivered to me and I give Mm -hmm. it to whomever I wish. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't think he's lying there because I think if he was, it it wouldn't really be a temptation. Right. Um, you know, if, if it was something like, well, no, that's not the case. So obviously Jesus, he's qualified to tell him whether that's right or not. But he doesn't say that. He says, you know, I'm I'm only going to worship God, and he uses you know scripture to 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 show that, and that you know, hey, you're not going to sway me into doing that, right? Right. So I, I think you're right. I, I think I think Satan had that that. Uh, I mean, Satan has the world in his hand. I mean, the prince yeah. the prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. You know, John. Right. That's a great quote. Says in the book of John. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think Pharaoh has the ability to you know. Uh, wield this power. And I think God through Moses is provoking him to put it to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and I, that, that's why I say God is provoking with that because I don't think Moses is really, <laughs> if Moses understood that he would not be so fretful, uh, yeah. at the end of all this. Um, right, right, right. You know, and, and that's the thing, like Moses in a sense, because of provoking Pharaoh, not only was Moses becoming a target for Pharaoh's power and judgment, it also was making all the Hebrews a target as well. And you mentioned John, uh, you know, it reminds me of John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And so just like, you know, Moses kind of leading the way of provoking Pharaoh and his authority, that's exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 15, you know, that Jesus in a sense was leading the way and provoking the powers at work of the world and to set an expectation, you know? Absolutely. And, and I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing with the Jewish ruling class. He's, he's provoking them when he goes back to Judea, he's provoking them when he goes in and cleans out the temple of the, uh, you know, the, the cleansing, the temple cleansing. Um, so, but he did that specifically. He didn't do that all the time. And there are times where Jesus actually pulls back and tries to avoid provoking them early on. Right. Um, so I, I think it all just kind of comes down to what does God want me to do with this or what, you know, so, so he's, he's following his, the Lord's commands. That's what Moses is doing. Um, and I think you made the point earlier, what, what tremendous courage to go uh, before the ruler of, you know, the strongest power in the world at that time. Right. Uh, I mean, that's kind of amazing. That's kind of, 
you know, if I were to go into <laughs> go into the Oval Office and just tell tell Trump, listen, you know, you need to work out your marriage situations. <laughs> you know, if I, if I were to tell him like, hey, you know, I, I don't I'm just not sure that you have the, a scriptural marriage in the eyes of God. I'd like for us to have a discussion about that. <laughs> uh, there would be a whole slew of other things I would want to discuss with him maybe before then, but you know what I'm getting at that you're going to the most powerful person right now. And you're saying, Hey, you need to do the right thing. And on that point, now that I brought that up, uh, generally that's kind of what John the Baptist did. He, he mm. came to Herod and he said, mm. you have no right to be with your brother's wife, uh, Herodias. There's, there's, you know, it's not lawful for this to happen. And, uh, uh, that takes courage to do that. And, uh, and I applaud these men for doing that. That's the kind of courage that we need to have. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of makes me think that, you know, Jesus did not even see Herod until he was in the process of being condemned, uh, the last, last day of his life. You know, and I wonder if the, the parallel, you know, consistent in that Jesus did not confront um, Herod, because ultimately Herod was not the ruler that Jesus was overcoming. Uh, Herod didn't have the power, nor did he hold the authority of bondage over the people that Jesus was really striving to liberate. You know, so Jesus did not confront Herod, but his whole ministry was confronting and overcoming the the ruler, uh, like Pharaoh who did have control and authority over God's people. Well, that's the thing. Like <clears throat> really Caesar wasn't even Jesus's enemy. Was it right? Yeah. Um, yep, yep. You know, Caesar Rome was very hands off with Judea uh, religion wise mm-hmm. to the point that there was nothing in Judea that kept someone from worshiping God faithfully, even though, you know, I mean, that's, that's what he says. He's saying, you know, uh, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so whatever they tell you to do, do it. Uh, so there was nothing wrong with serving God in that capacity, but the problem is don't be like them, for they say and do not. Uh, but now in this situation, I mean, it's it's terrible. This is a much, much worse situation. And uh, makes me think about, you know, what Christians of the first century might have said to the zealots, you know, that there was Simon the Canaanite. Simon the zealot was one of the apostles. And uh, I have to wonder what Jesus said about that. You know, like mm. is, is that I'm, I'm not sure that was the way that, that God wanted his people to go, you know, because, uh, I mean, why why throw off the yoke of Rome when it's not preventing you from serving God? Mm-hmm. Um you know, anyway, that's 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 not really germane to the discussion, but it's just something I uh, would just happen to think of. Mm. But uh, so, you know, uh, other things that we want to appreciate too: times of distress, times of discouragement. All of that is all throughout the scriptures. Uh, Moses and the people of Israel are certainly certainly showing that and seeing that Moses is going to have a life where he is going to keep hitting this wall of discouragement with the people. Mm. And this is the first, you know, well, this isn't the first time, is it? Because he go, you go back to chapter two and he tries to go and talk to, um, yeah. So chapter two and verse 13, when he went out to the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. He said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? 
Then he said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So he's going out. He's trying to help his people and kind of, you know, uh, fix up this conflict. That's what the text seems to say. Um, but he keeps hitting this wall of like, they're not willing to work with him. <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating to me that, 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 that Moses over time is going to be shown by God to be one of the most humble men who ever lived. And yet he keeps hitting this wall of that. The people are not willing to work with him. The people are not willing to listen to him. Um, and I think this is this is the second time that we've seen that in his life. You know, one thing that I was thinking is um, the way that the people misunderstand what's happening and just kind of quickly lose their hope. Uh, you see that with the disciples in Jesus's ministry, you know, um, you know, when Jesus raises from the dead at the end of every gospel, you know, the disciples really struggle with unbelief. Uh, you know, they struggle even after they're told that Jesus has risen with not believing the report. Uh, Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 14 and 15, Jesus reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. You know, and I think that that helps to solidify the historical certainty of things with Jesus's resurrection is, you know, God was doing something that nobody understood, nobody anticipated. And that's just a, a consistent theme in God's work. And it just shows that he's a, he's a living God, you know, that God defies expectations. He works outside of the anticipations of people who even have their hope set in him. Um, and I think that's kind of what's happening here is, you know, Moses is a man of faith, you know, Moses loves God. And so does Aaron. Uh, but yet, both of these men don't see the big picture, you know, and, and, and I think that's just so important even in the writing to establish that just like Jesus was not going to stop his work and God was not going to stop his work just because the disciples did not believe or understand. It's the same thing happening here in, in the Exodus as well. Very well said. I, I do love the back and forth where, you know, God, God here is not, I don't see a rebuke for Moses here. It's just, it's almost like this isn't working. God go do it. No, really. It's not going to work. Go do it. You know, it's, it, you know, that's right, kind of right. Right. It's very gentle. It's very, uh, it's very comparable to what we have today. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't have new mm-hmm. revelations from mm-hmm. God. And we may even be saying, mm-hmm. God, this is really challenging. But then we go back and we read some more. It's like, no, that's what I have to do. And, you know, so it just, you know, probably have more to say in the applications about that, but uh, just some, some very interesting things there. So one other thing that crossed my mind is Jeremiah 32, 36 through uh, 41. Um, you know, just this, this idea of, I will take you for my people and I will be your God in verse seven, you know, establishing the covenant, bringing them out of bondage, right. redeeming them. Um you know, and remembering that God brought them out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So Jeremiah 32, this is like one of the places where, you know, in, in, in this book, God is making new covenant promises back to back to back. And Jeremiah 32, 36, it says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, by pestilence, 
that would be Jerusalem. It says, Behold, I will gather them out of all the lands to which I have driven them in my anger and in, in my wrath and in my in great indignation. And I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart in one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart, with all my soul. And that's like the same idea as what God is saying to Moses here to reassure him, you know, his covenant will be established. God's people will be brought out. They will be gathered together. They will be unified under his name, you know, and uh, it just seems like that's one of the the big threads through the entire, entire Old Testament is God redeeming a people for himself, but doing it in a pattern, you know, well, there's so much we're, we're going to be saying about this throughout the book of Exodus, but I mean, this is the right. birth of yeah. the nation of Israel. This is, you know, you could go back to Abraham and his family and even, even uh, Jacob and his family. And that's, that's a bigger group. But then, I mean, that doesn't really match what we see coming through the Red Sea and coming out of Egypt and storming its way up through the wilderness and uh, eventually through the through Canaan and uh, going in unopposed. And, uh, you know, Rahab is going to make the, make the point in the book of, uh, book of Joshua that, you know, we, we know about your people. We've heard about the people that have come through, you know, unopposed and conquering the land. And, uh, so, so that's, that's one thing that we, we recognize. And I think what you you've already touched on is that, you know, God, God will show himself among the nations. He doesn't do that all the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we certainly don't see that today in the same way, but you know, there will come a time, I believe where every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And, uh, and that's what the Bible is prophesying. That's what the Bible is showing us, uh, today that, uh, that God has a plan and he's going to affect that plan. And, uh, and we need to be allied with him and just completely tied in and, and, uh, completely dedicated to to the direction that he wants to go. So finally, we want to uh, look at application. We want to consider what does this mean for me practically? I mean, we can we can read this, we can discuss it, but if I'm not looking within myself and considering myself and and seeing where I am in, in comparison with where God wants his people to be, then it's kind of pointless. And so we want to take some time at the end of our program to look at that. So, um, you know, Brian, one of the things that we looked at, and I think one of the themes that we'll just keep touching on is that, you know, God... God can use a proud man, but he is not going to use that proud man uh, to the benefit of that proud man. Does that, that's a little re- repetitive, but I mean, does that make sense? Like God is going to use Pharaoh for his glory, but Pharaoh is not going to benefit from that. Um, uh, the only way we will benefit is if we put our pride aside 
and we say, you know what? I'm not that important. I'm not the one in control of the situation. He is. And uh, Uh, it'll take Pharaoh a while to get to that point. And I'm not even really sure he gets all the way. Uh, but, but we need to get that way. We need to appreciate that, you know, God, God knows, you know, God knows what we need to be doing. He has this under control and I need to make sure that I'm following him and, uh, reading his word and getting myself out of the way. One unusual thing that I thought about as far as an application, um, is actually first Corinthians chapter one, uh, you know, the Corinthian church was like about as messed up as a church could be while still be considerate while still being considered, you know, a church of the Lord. And so Paul is writing them and starts his letter with, with thankfulness for them. Um, they're immoral. They're idolatrous. Some of them are denying the resurrection, um, taking each other to court. There's, activity with prostitution they're divided but first corinthians 1 verse 9 says god is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with the son jesus christ our lord and he said that after making a pretty amazing affirmation that god will confirm them to the end blameless you know you think like there's no way people like that could be blameless but paul's looking at things from the bigger picture you know he understands that god's God's ability to redeem his people is so powerful. And I think, you know, Paul would understand principles from these chapters that, you know what, the people were in a despondent condition. Everybody was losing hope. But you know what? God was still working. And so long as God is working and so long as he has people to work with, it's possible. You know, the Corinthians could have rejected Paul's letter, sure. But even that would not nullify what God could have done if they would have done that. And I think there's just such encouragement in being able to confront with boldness and patience sin and and, and difficulties in working with brethren when we really understand the assurance that God's faithfulness gives us. And I think that's one of the big things here is, you know, everything everything was working against any sense of assurance. They tried to have assurance in verse 1 of chapter 5, and man, they, it fell apart. But I think this, this really helps us understand that, you know, when they, when they lost their sense of assurance, it was simply because of the difficulty of short-sightedness. Yes. And, and, uh, it's the difference between, uh, you know, short-term profits and long-term profits, right? Um, Uh, sometimes uh you have to face the tough times right now so that you can reap the blessings later. And that's one of the most difficult mm-hmm. things for us to get in this life is that I, I see something that seems preferable. You know, for example, I'm, I'm, you know, let's say that we're working with a congregation and we're saying, you know, well, it would be preferable for me to just sort of overlook this sin that's among us. And for us to say, okay, we're, we're unified. We're together. No problem. Or even just to say, we'll, we'll work on that later. And we just kind of shove that to the side. Um, it's preferable in the short term to do that because it feels more like harmony, but the Bible will tell us that that's not true harmony. And the real way to get to that true harmony is to say, you know what? We need to work on that. We need to study on that. 
And we, we really need to focus on correcting that. And once we work through correcting that, then we can truly be together. We're not trying to ignore things. We're not trying to sweep things under the rug. We're trying to openly and honestly be together on these things. And, and I know that's not a, an exact parallel to what we see here, but we see short term more of a burden on the Israelites uh, that they've earned Pharaoh's ire. And so there's more of a a burden upon them, but God is trying to consistently say to Aaron, to, to, well, to Aaron and to Moses that, uh, that, that this will happen. You know, things are going to go well, things are going to work out. Yeah. You know, that, that puts into my mind, first Peter chapter three, uh, 13 and 14, who is there to harm you? If you prove zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. You know, and I think that's the thing is, you know, first Peter just talks so much about the grace of God that is in, in, in suffering. And I love that he says, do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Um, you know, and then it talks about sanctifying Jesus as Lord in our hearts and always being ready to make a defense for people who ask about the hope in us. And that's the thing that Peter's trying to write to his audience. Your suffering is not a reason to be discouraged. And it's not a reason to think that anything has changed. You know, in first Peter chapter one, he said this, this hope that you're putting your, your, your thought, your faith in is, is undefiled. It's imperishable. It's not going to fade away in chapter one, verse four, and you are being protected by the power of God through faith. And so I think that's, that's a, that's a big thing is one of the most common themes of the new Testament is trying to give hope and encouragement and um, clarity to Christians who are suffering intensely because of their faith. And because Satan is striving to intimidate to the point of discouragement those who are being liberated and redeemed by God, you know, so we don't, we don't have to be negatively affected by our suffering. We can have encouragement and joy because we have the big picture and we have Jesus on the cross. And, and just the power of that is, is so important and so amazing, you know? Absolutely. And even when the enemies of Christ seem to be so strong, I think, you know, we, we, we have situations right. that will yeah. happen today where yeah. it just seems like so many are being led astray. And it, there's a temptation right. for Christians to think, well, well, just nobody's interested in the gospel anymore. Nobody really cares about authority right. anymore. Right, right. Well, if people, you know, I had a conversation with a guy the other day that we're, you know, I, I was just, we were talking about. <laughs> You know, where's the burden of proof? Is the burden of proof on me proving that something is sinful or is the burden of proof me proving that something is the right thing to do? And I think the burden of proof is that I I need to prove that it's right by the scriptures. Um, And, you know, he kind of, you know, thought about that. He said, I never really thought about it that that way before. And that just tells you that, that people, it's not that they don't want to know. It's that they just generally, I think you, you find places where people don't want to know, but generally I think you just have people that aren't taught. They just don't know. And, and, mm-hmm. but do they know they don't know? I mean, there's one fellow that, that uh, we're studying with uh, right now at the pines that, uh, you know, he, he's saying, you know, I, I'm he, basically he's, he's saying he's a blank slate. He doesn't know anything about, about the Bible. And I, I, I so appreciate mm-hmm. his honesty with that because, you know, in this culture, yeah. especially in the Southeast, I think it takes guts to say that you don't know anything about the Bible. I, I think it takes, mm-hmm. uh, takes courage to say, you know what? I don't really know this instead of saying, oh yeah, I know the Bible 
or the, Oh yeah, I, I got this done. Or I, I know, I know who God is. I know who Jesus is. Well, that's, that's sort of on the other side of things, isn't it? So, so sure of yourself like Pharaoh, well, I've got this figured out. Who is God? You know, <laughs> who's this, who's this thing you're talking about? Right. Um, so that's, that kind of opens up a, a new, a new way of looking at that too, because, you know, when I, when I hear of something that challenges my faith, I can react to it like Pharaoh. I can say, well, you think, you know, everything. I mean, what about this or what about that? You know, um, and, and, and we can react in a negative way, or we can react in such a way that says, you know what, you may be right. (laughs) And, and let's, let's get into the book. Let's study about it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the heart that I want to have the heart that says, you know what, I do not have this all figured out. And, uh, and Moses has that, but he has that to such a fault that he's like, this is impossible. (laughs) And, uh, so, so that's where we can work on it. The other end and say, you know what, if I just trust in God and I I read his word, I know what he says and I live that way. You know what? I've, I've got it. Yeah, there's, there's always something for me to work on. There's always, you know, but, but you have that, that stability there and you have that boldness to say, just like you said at the start of chapter, chapter five, uh, Hey, Lord God has said this, we're going to deliver this message and, uh, and whatever else happens is it, you know, we'll just see things come as they may. Yeah. And I think, um, maybe the, the last observation of application that I have is, you know, all of this and what you were saying, you know, with, with Moses's perspective, you know, it's almost like this does give me a window into my own humanity because ultimately I'm so similar to Moses and the Israelites here. And I think one of the lessons is really taking into account how prone I am to quickly distrust God. And I think the more aware I become of that danger and the reality of that danger, the more I will cling to his words and promises and just have a greater sense of self-awareness for those things. Moses here was in some ways just being human and God dealt gently with that. But I think it exposes a problem with our humanity is it's just so easy for me to let circumstances, the immediacy of suffering, the immediacy of the powers at work of the world to cause me to put more trust in what I am experiencing in my circumstance instead of the power of God. You know, and I think there's just so much encouragement here to just cling to God's word more desperately because of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that totally falls under a number of things that we see. I mean, what are people doing today? They're trusting in their feelings rather than trusting in the word. Right. They're, uh, yeah. they're saying, you know, well, this is just how I feel right now. Or we get so wrapped up in the troubles that we try to work on that we just figure, well, there's no, there's no solution to this. That we're just going to keep having troubles. We're just keep going to keep having problems. Well, that kind of hopelessness, that's, that it's not what God wants. God wants us mm-hmm. to stand firm in his word. And the only way for us to right. do that is to understand his authority, understand that what he says means something. And it's not just something right. that he said so that we can sort of reinterpret it in any way that we want. We appreciate what he's given us. And so we hold on to that and, and we push forward in those ways that are, that are best and, and most healthy for us and for others. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
But we're so grateful for you taking the time to, to listen today. And uh, we hope it's been beneficial for you. I know it's been beneficial for me. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's just, just been great to be back together after all this time. I, I thought about sort of trying to yeah. rebrand everything and I, I may end up recording. <laughs> I know I'll, I know that I'll, I'll probably record a new, uh, bumper for the end at any rate, uh, Lord willing, we'll be back with you again very soon and, uh, we'll discuss more and we'll walk further through the book. Thanks again, Brian. Absolutely. Such an encouragement. All right. So until then, uh, study well and be lights to his glory. The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.